I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. <laughs>
Global News, November 2016. Convicted sex offender Raymond Earl Brooks was murdered in 2014. An Alabama father was sentenced to 40 years in prison earlier this week for murdering the man who sexually abused his daughter. In June 2014, the father was charged for shooting Brooks outside of a home where he lived with his parents, the Associated Press reported at the time. According to the news agency, Brooks pleaded guilty to sexually abusing the shooter's daughter in 2002 and served just over two and a half years of a five-year prison term. We see these extremely light sentences for rape constantly in our society. How much is a rape worth? The victim's life is turned upside down no matter what age they are, but especially children. They will have to deal with that every day for the rest of their lives. Many turn to drugs and alcohol. Victims of molestation often go on to be sexual offenders themselves. There is death of the body, death of the mind, and death of the spirit. And rape and molestation can kill your spirit even if the body remains alive. After charges were laid against the shooter, supporters of the father rallied to gather donations to help fund the man's legal defense through various social media sites. According to WVTM 13 News, the shooter's daughter was sexually assaulted multiple times between the ages of four and nine. Brooks was the victim's maternal grandfather, the news station reported. Following her father's sentencing on Monday, the daughter told WVTM 13 News she is still haunted by the abuse she suffered as a child. I've tried counseling and that didn't work, and it's still here today. I relive it every day. I struggle to get out of bed in the morning, the daughter told the news station. I've overcome PTSD for a little while, and now I'm having to re-overcome something that hasn't happened in 14, 15, 16 years. Speaking with Alabama Local News AL.com, the 24-year-old said her father pleaded guilty to the shooting and accepted the sentence so she wouldn't have to testify in court. Basically, he took it so that I didn't have to relive the molestation and also be on the stand in front of a bunch of people talking about and bringing back memories of the molestation. My father was protecting me, like a father should do. He is an amazing father, actually the best. He loves us so much. The guy was guilty of raping his little girl, and I guess he dealt with it for 12 years and it just built up, Jason Lackey, a longtime friend of the father, told the Associated Press. I won't say he had the right to go murder him, but I understand when he did. That's a long time to stew on something and to have to watch your daughter relive it every day of her life. Do you have a daughter? Are you a daughter? Ask your dad what he thinks. Shiner, Texas, population 2000. 90 minutes east of San Antonio home of the world-famous Shiner Beer. Jesus Mora Flores took care of horses on a local ranch between Shiner and Yoakum. One day, a fellow ranch hand spotted Flores violently carrying a five-year-old girl off to a pasture, and he dashed to get the girl's father. The girl's father followed the cries and her voice to find Jesus Mora Flores pants down 
with the girl lying out in front of him. The father dragged Flores down by his collar and pummeled the man repeatedly, over and over, until he went limp. The father snapped out of his rage and called 911 and stated, I need an ambulance. This guy was raping my daughter and I beat him up and I don't know what to do. This guy is fixing to die on me, man, and I don't know what to do. EMS had trouble locating the ranch, and the man said he would put him in his truck and drive him to the hospital himself. Come on, this guy is going to die on me. I don't know what to do. He's going to die. He's going to fucking die. When EMS finally arrived, they performed CPR but would not be able to revive him. Sheriff Micah Harmon said he found a distraught father that had not meant to kill anyone. The Travis County Medical Examiner in Austin ruled that Flores died from blunt force head and neck injury. The manner of death was homicide. A special grand jury was called and the District Attorney General announced their findings at a news conference. Under the law, deadly force is justified to stop a sexual assault. No charges would be filed against this father. How do you feel about that one? The lines are getting blurry now, aren't they? We can all sympathize with this man, right? It was the heat of the moment. And in the heat of the moment, things happen. A father who brutally beat teen he caught raping his 11-year-old son reveals it was only his boy's pleas that saved the pedophile from death. Jason Browning said he was going to stab Raymond Frolander to death after he beat him unconscious, but that his son stood up and stopped him from killing the man. Frolander later admitted to Florida police that he has been molesting the boy for three years. My son is the one who stepped in front of me and stopped me. My son saved his attacker's life. So who's really the hero in this situation? Imagine that, after all of the torment, the boy still had the kindness in his heart to want to save his attacker's life. Brownie admitted he just snapped when he walked in on Frolander naked with his son. Shortly after beating the teen into a coma, he went to the kitchen and grabbed a knife, he said. I was going to kill him, said Browning. Frolander was considered family by the Brownings and often spent time with the 11-year-old boy, the father said. There was nothing uncommon to let the kids go in the bedroom and play video games together, and now I have to wonder why the door was shut, Mr. Browning said. The father's outrage comes from being molested himself as a child at a foster home in California. He said beating Frolander was the easy part, and much harder days lie ahead. I'm not going to pressure anything on him, Mr. Browning said. I know exactly what he's going through. When he's ready to talk about it, he will. Police defended Mr. Browning's actions, but later criticized him for creating a GoFundMe page asking for $1 million in donations. The father has not been charged with a crime, and police appeared to understand his reaction. Dad was acting like a dad. I don't see anything we should charge the man with, Daytona Beach Police Chief Mike Chitwood told WFTS. You have an 18-year-old who has clearly picked his target, groomed his target, and had sex with the victim multiple times. A subsequent mugshot showed that Frolander had been badly beaten around the face, leaving him with swollen lips and eyes, bruising, and lacerations. 
When the 911 responder asked the father if any weapons were involved, he said, quote, My foot and my fist. The father told a 911 dispatcher in the early hours of Friday, I just walked in on a grown man molesting my son, and I got him in a bloody puddle for you right now, officer. Police arrived at the Daytona Beach home in Florida to find Frolander unconscious. He's nice and knocked out on the floor for you. I dragged him into the living room, the father said. Send an ambulance. He's going to need one. The dispatcher asked, is he still unconscious? To which the father responded, yes. I hit hard, sir. Chief Chitwood also said that he had hundreds of emails relating to the case, many from victims of sexual abuse and their families. He said many of them said that they wished someone, a father, mother, big brother, had walked in when it was happening to them. What would you do if you walked into someone trying to rape your child? Hopefully none of us ever have to face that situation. But does anyone really know what they would do if put in a certain situation? There are certain things you just can't prepare for, and this is one of them. Now let's get a word from our sponsor. In Spokane, Washington, a father who allegedly rescued his daughter from sex traffickers and brutally killed the man who he believed sold his daughter into sex slavery is being called a hero on social media. In a press release issued on Monday, November 1st, the Spokane Police Department said the remains of a 19-year-old man have been discovered, who was possibly 60-year-old John Eisenman's daughter's former boyfriend. The man's body was found stuffed in the trunk of an abandoned vehicle. On October 21st, SPD patrol officers responded to an abandoned vehicle with a foul odor emanating from it. SPD patrol officers spoke with several individuals who indicated they believed the body of a deceased person was located in the trunk. SPD officers verified human remains were contained within the vehicle, City of Spokane Police Department wrote on Facebook. Spokane Major Crimes Unit detectives worked diligently to solve the complex case. The victim was identified as a 19-year-old male, and on October 29, 2021, 60-year-old John Eisenman was arrested for first-degree murder. In October 2020, Eisenman learned his juvenile daughter was allegedly sold to a sex trafficking organization in the Seattle area. Eisenman obtained information that his daughter's boyfriend may have been the one responsible for her sale. Eisenman was able to rescue his daughter and get her back to the Spokane area in October 2020. In November 2020, Eisenman learned his daughter's boyfriend was going to be at a location in Airway Heights, Washington. Eisenman waited for the victim and confronted the 19-year-old as he arrived. During that encounter, Eisenman abducted the victim, tying him up and placing him in the trunk of a vehicle. Eisenman subsequently assaulted the victim by hitting him in the head with a cinder block and then stabbed him repeatedly, causing his death. 
The Post further said after committing the murder, Eisenman drove to a remote area in North Spokane County where he abandoned the vehicle with the body still in it. The vehicle remained at that location until it was moved in October 2021 by a third party and driven to Spokane. At this point, it is not believed the third party knew the body was in the trunk. The vehicle, with the body still in the trunk, was abandoned at the Everett location. While parked on Everett Street, individuals were rummaging through the car and taking items when they made a gruesome discovery, the Post read. Eisenman has been taken into custody by law enforcement. Eisenman had no recent criminal history before this incident, nor did he have any violent criminal history. He has now been booked into Spokane County Jail for first-degree murder. In the comment section of the Facebook post, people hailed Eisenman as a hero, justifying his crime. This guy is a hero. How many other daughters did he save other than just his own? Petition for his release. Where do I sign? A user commented. I see nothing wrong here except with the boyfriend selling a woman into slavery, one user wrote. While another said, I see no reason to arrest him. I would do the same for my daughter. How many lives did this man save? Give him a medal. So where do you stand on this one? It hasn't gone to trial yet, so we have no way of knowing how the father found his daughter's boyfriend was the one responsible for his daughter being sold into sex trafficking. So we have to speculate a little. If you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that you knew who did this to your daughter, what would you do? It's no secret this beautiful world we live in is littered with sex traffickers. After hearing some of the women's stories, they might have rather died than go through what they had to endure. There seems to be very little effort put into stopping sex trafficking, or at least it's not covered by the media much. It starts out as a triumphant rescue from a horrible fate, but now this girl might not ever get to see her father as a free man again. Gary Plouch, the Louisiana dad who took deadly revenge on his son's rapist. On March 16, 1984, Gary Plouch waited at the airport for Jeff Doucette, who had kidnapped his son, Jody, then shot him dead as cameras rolled. A parent's worst nightmare is likely a child's abduction or sexual assault. Gary Plouch endured both, then did the unthinkable. He tracked down the man who took his son and shot him in the head. A cameraman captured the murder on tape, turning Plouch's act of revenge into a national sensation. Plouch attracted even more attention from the media during his trial. As a judge was deciding his fate, onlookers judged his character. Should he be charged with murdering another man or celebrated for ridding the world of a dangerous criminal? The series of events that would change Plouch's life forever was set in motion on February 19, 1984, when his 11-year-old son, Jody's karate instructor, picked him up to go for a ride. Jeff Doucette, a 25-year-old with a huge beard, promised Jody Plouch's mom, June, that they'd be back in 15 minutes. June Plouch didn't doubt Doucette. She had no reason to. He instructed three of their four children in karate and was trusted in the community. 
Doucette enjoyed spending time with the boys, and they enjoyed spending time with him. By nighttime, the two were on a bus heading to the west coast. On the way, Doucette shaved his beard and dyed Jody's blonde hair to black. Doucette and Jody Plouch checked into a cheap motel in Anaheim, California, just a short walk away from Disneyland. Inside the motel room, Doucette sexually assaulted his karate student. This went on until Jody asked to call his parents, which Doucette allowed. Police, alerted by Jody's parents, traced the call and arrested Doucette while Jody was put on a flight back to Louisiana. Mike Barnett, a Baton Rouge Sheriff's Major who had helped track down Jeff Doucette and was friendly with Gary Plouch, took it upon himself to inform him about what the karate instructor had done to his son. According to Barnett, Gary, quote, had the same reaction most parents do when they find out their children have been raped or molested. He was horrified. Plouch told Barnett, I'll kill that SOB, the Associated Press reported. A former colleague from WBRZ News, who happened to be out for a drink, told Plouch that his disgraced karate instructor would be flown in at 9.08. Plouch drove to Baton Rouge Airport. He entered the arrivals hall wearing a baseball cap and a pair of sunglasses. His face hidden, he walked over to a payphone. As he made a quick call, a WBRZ news crew got their cameras ready to record the caravan of cops that were escorting Jeff Doucette out of his plane. When they passed by, Plouch pulled a gun from his boot and shot Doucette in the head. The bullet that Plouch shot through Doucette's skull was caught on camera by the WBRZ crew. Barnett quickly tackled Plouch to the wall. Why, Gary? Why'd you do it? The officer shouted at his friend as he disarmed him. If somebody did it to your kid, you'd do it too, Plouch answered in tears. Locals almost uniformly believe Gary Plouch's killing of Jeff Doucette was justified. I don't want him to do it to other kids, Plouch told his attorney, Foxy Sanders, while awaiting trial in jail. According to Sanders, he said the voice of Christ had compelled him to pull the trigger. He had to be put on trial and it wasn't clear whether he would go free or go to prison. Sanders was adamant that Plouch would not spend a single day locked up once the world learned how carefully Jeff Doucette had gone about grooming Jody Plouch. Sanders also argued Jody's kidnapping had pushed his father into a psychotic state in which he was no longer capable of distinguishing right from wrong. The citizens of Baton Rouge didn't agree. If you ask them... They said that Plouch was in his right mind when killing Doucette. According to one of these locals, a riverboat captain named Murray Curry, Plouch was anything but a killer. He's a father who done it out of love for his child and for his pride. The degree to which public opinion swayed in Plouch's favor was overwhelming, so much so that when sentencing time came around, the judge decided against sending Plouch to jail. Doing so, he said, would have been counterproductive. He felt certain that Plouch didn't intend to harm anyone except the already dead Jeff Doucette. I like that answer. If you don't rape children, you have nothing to fear. I don't condone the killing, but I can't imagine being in his shoes, especially since it was a close friend of the family that betrayed everyone. Do you think he should have done some time for the murder? 
Firing a gun in a crowded building put a lot of people at risk. Where do you stand on this one? July 12, 2021. Oxygen True Crime reports a UK woman scalds her 81-year-old husband to death with boiling water and sugar mixture amid abuse allegations as he slept. Police said Karina Smith killed her husband, Michael Baines, after her daughter had accused Baines of sexually abusing his children for years. Karina Smith received the sentence nearly a month after a jury found her guilty of murder. According to authorities, in July of 2020, Smith filled a bucket from her garden with boiling water and mixed it with more than six pounds of sugar before pouring the scalding substance over her husband as he slept. After pouring the water over him, she left the house and went to a nearby neighbor's house where she reportedly told the man, I've hurt him really bad. I think I've killed him. Baines suffered burns to 36% of his body. Officers found him in excruciating pain and whimpering in bed, with the skin on his right arm and hand peeling off. He initially survived the ordeal and was listed in stable condition at a local hospital, but died the next month after his condition deteriorated. Investigators said Smith killed her husband after hearing a rumor she believed to be true the day before the attack. Now, Smith's daughter had allegedly told her that Baines had committed sexual abuse against his children for many years, according to the Cheshire Standard. The abuse allegations included claims that Baines had sexually abused the couple's son, Craig, who committed suicide in 2007 at the age of 25. He had been troubled before his death, and had been to prison for a serious assault, Judge Amanda Yip said during the sentencing. Before his death, Craig had allegedly told his mother he had been attacked by a pedophile who had touched him sexually. Yip said that regardless of what Smith believed her husband had done, it did not justify her taking his life. Your actions cannot begin to justify whatever you believe your husband had done, she said in court. You have taken Mr. Bain's life and caused terrible grief and shock for his children and those who loved him. Her actions also prevented anyone from investigating the allegations to determine whether they were true, Yip said. Detective Chief Inspector Paul Hughes of the Cheshire Constabulary's Major Crime Unit called the savage death painful and cruel. To throw boiling water over someone when they are asleep is absolutely horrific, he said according to the statement from authorities. To also mix three bags of sugar with the water showed the determination she had to cause serious harm. Adding the sugar made it thicker and stickier, which caused it to stick to the skin better, he said. It left Michael in agony, and rather than call the emergency services, she wasted time by going to a house nine doors away to tell a neighbor who she wasn't close to what she had done. Smith will be required to serve a minimum of at least 12 years in prison before she can appear before the parole board. In the story, they used the words, after hearing a rumor, but they also said her daughter is the one who told her, not something she heard at the salon or a water cooler. I can't imagine the pain of finding out your 25-year-old son who had committed suicide was molested by your husband, and that your son had mentioned he was molested just beforehand linking it to his reasoning with why he may have taken his own life.
On the morning of July 10, 1982, 14-year-old Kalinka Bamberski was found dead at the home of her stepfather in Germany. An examination of the girl's body revealed several injection marks, a torn vagina, and a white substance inside of her. But the substance was never tested, and her sex organs were inexplicably removed during the autopsy. Her biological father, Andre Bamberski, who lived in France, was horrified by the news. Meanwhile, her stepfather, Dieter Kronbach, was only questioned once by German police. A prestigious doctor, Kronbach admitted that he injected the girl with a compound that would help her tan more efficiently and that he had also given her a sleeping pill. It was only publicized later that he had also injected her with several other substances including a quote dangerous combination of dopamine and isoptin. Isoptin is a medication used for lowering blood pressure. Kronbach may have also been present at her autopsy. Conflict of interest anybody? By the time Bamberski received the autopsy reports months later, prosecutors had already closed the case, claiming no foul play. Andre Bamberski was certain that his daughters had been raped and murdered, and that the authorities were letting a powerful predator walk free. He took to the streets, handing out leaflets, accusing Kronbach of the crime, and hired a lawyer who put forth a complaint against Kronbach in France. By that point, Kronbach already had an eyebrow-raising history, as his first wife had died rather suddenly at the age of 24. And then years after Kronbach was cleared of any involvement in his stepdaughter's death, he was found guilty of drugging and raping a 16-year-old female patient. Bamberski, more determined than ever to see Kronbach face justice for his daughter's murder, decided to take drastic measures in 2009. He organized the kidnapping of Kronbach from Germany and arranged for him to be transported to France. That's some next-level shit. He was dropped off near a police station, a move that would soon lead to his arrest and later conviction of the crime in 2011. The disgraced doctor was sentenced to 15 years in prison, and he ended up serving 9 years until he was freed on medical grounds in 2020. Meanwhile, Bamberski was put on trial for kidnapping in 2014 and was handed a one-year suspended jail sentence for his actions. So, in this case, the offender was brought to justice instead of killed or beaten within an inch of his life. Was the kidnapping justified to finally get justice for his daughter? These are all circumstances we pray never come up in our lives with our loved ones, but the instinct to protect our children is strong. How far does that instinct reach? How long does in the heat of the moment last? Ask yourself, what would it take to make you take justice into your own hands? We've all seen the Liam Neeson movie Taken. Who were you rooting for? That's all I've got, friends and enemies. I hope you do some soul searching and think about these deep waters our stories covered tonight. You can email what you think at exploringevil at gmail.com. Please take a minute to subscribe, like, comment, review, and tell your friends and enemies about Exploring Evil. And don't forget to check out Cryptique to get your paranormal fix. Until next time, good night.